morning, everybody. Good to see you. One more time for those that are listening or watching in by live stream now or later. Uh, thank you for, for being with us. We are uh, in the third week of our series on the prodigal son. And we've been looking at Luke chapter 15 and this discussion and this conversation that Jesus Christ has with a, a group of people. Now, the Pharisees weren't the only ones in the crowd, but he was the, they were the ones that Jesus was addressing. And when you uh, remember what we spoke about, Pharisees are people who had this outside visage of being religious but, and being worshipful and being uh, spiritual, but on the inside, they were dead. They were all about outside works and not about what's going on on the inside. And, you know, we get on Pharisees all the time. But if you realize a lot of times, even those of us who claim to know Jesus Christ are extremely Pharisaical. And usually what happens is the, the time that we're the most Pharisaical is when we're looking at the faults of other people. And if you really think about it, what do we hate the most about other people? Usually, it's what we don't like about ourselves. And so we get on people constantly about their shortcomings in spirituality, always remembering, if you really are honest, that you're really looking at yourself and you're just projecting. And the Pharisees were notorious for finding the fault in everybody else, but not seeing any fault in what they did. They literally viewed, they viewed their, their robes that they wore and the, the jewelry that they wore and the, the word of God that they've memorized. They used those things to put up walls between them and other people, but also walls between them and God. They had a religious system down pat. But when it came to actually having spirituality, they had none. And so we see this in the beginning of Luke chapter 15. They go to Jesus, and, and what they describe him as, they say this, well, this one sits and eats with sinners, and their point was to insult him, not recognizing that's what they were supposed to be doing. And instead, they separated them from themselves from society, the very world that they were supposed to change. In order to make them more godly, they separated themselves, and so their religion became more important than proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ and the Messiah that was coming. And so Jesus brings this up to them, and he says them, he, he gives them two stories. Before we get into our passage on the prodigal son, he brings up two other stories. And now remember, when we use the word parable, basically Jesus spoke in parables, and the idea is that it was a, a, an, an, earthly, a, 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 an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, meaning that basically this was about what the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is like to show them what they were. And so what would happen is those who were being called by God to salvation, when they heard these stories, it hit them at the heart and change was made. For the Pharisees, it actually just dug their hole deeper. And so as he's talking to these Pharisees, he gives them the story about a lost sheep. How in a pen there was 99 sheep and one ran away. And he asked the question, Doesn't, wouldn't any good shepherd go after that one sheep? Then he brings up another story about how someone who loses one silver coin out of ten, doesn't she turn the house upside down in order to find this one coin? And in both parables, he gives the idea that there is value to 
sheep, the one. There's value to the coin. There's one. And when you look at what he's saying, he said that there's value. Even though the outside world doesn't see value, religion may not see value. Religion may see value in a system. Jesus sees value in the individual. And at the end of both of these stories, he says that there's a party, there's rejoicing. Because a sheep was found. A coin was found. That there's rejoicing because of the value. God places value on our lives. God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die and pay the price for our sins so that when he rose again from the grave, not only did he take care of our sin debt, he showed us that we can have eternal life. That is how much God values you. The Pharisees didn't get it. So we've been focusing in on the story of the prodigal son, and I believe this is where Jesus really tries to hit home. And so we're going to pick up, we're going to read the entire story beginning in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. He also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. And he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up. I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the, the, the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now we're going to pause there for a second. This is where we got up to last week. And we spoke about the story of the prodigal son from the aspect of the younger son. And uh, what we spoke about primarily last week was the fact that we should celebrate when someone who's lost is found. When someone who has gone out and recognized in their rock-bottom state that they need a savior. They need to go back to the Father. When that person comes back to us, we rejoice. And this goes along with what we talked about the first week, that there is this joy that's been lost when sinners are saved. And so this is where the story matches up with the other two stories, right? Something was lost, it's found, and there's rejoicing. But this story has an epilogue to it. And so we're going to continue to read. Now, his older son was in the field. 
As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he, the older son, became angry and didn't want to go in. His father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him? Son, the father talking, said to him, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Why does Jesus add this addendum to the story? Usually when Jesus puts parables together, he's trying to, you know, hit one, two, to get everybody to a combo punch, to knock them out on the third one. Oh, I get it now. Or, oh, I'm completely lost. I just hate Jesus more. That's how the parables work. But in this parable, he decides on the third one to go further than he did on the other two. He goes beyond the rejoicing, and he brings up another character that we don't see in the other two stories, the character of the older son. Now, in the first two parables, it's very possible there were other people besides those who would celebrate along with the shepherd or celebrate along with the woman who lost the coin. But in every crowd, I believe, and you can't be dogmatic, but I believe there were people like the older son in both of those parables too. Wondering why the heck would he go after the one when we have 99 others? I've been slaving in, in, this, in this field with these sheep, and what do we do? Why are we... We should smack the one who ran away. Maybe that's the first one we make lamb chops out of. And the other story, I could see somebody at the party going, why are we celebrating somebody finding a stinking nickel? There's nine more. If she'd clean her house better, maybe there wouldn't be a problem. There's always people like that in your life, right? Am I right? There's always people in your life that are these curmudgeons. On, on, on Saturday Night Live, they had a character called uh, Rachel Drash paid her perfectly, Debbie Downer. Every time there was a good scene, something going on, there's always one person that would say something, and they'd play the music, and her face would go, always. There's always a Debbie Downer. But, you know, Debbie Downers can be funny, they can be annoying, but Jesus drives the point home more that this is not just an older brother who's a Debbie Downer. This is an older brother who got completely and totally flustered that his brother came home. And so I'd like to share with you some things about the older brother that I want us to see that may, if you're honest, resemble how you and I act sometimes. Because the point of this parable that Jesus putting these three together was to speak to the Pharisees about who they were. It's evangelistic in nature for those of us who are called by God and God is speaking to us. And, and people have come to Jesus hearing phrases like the lost is found and the love of the father. But primarily Jesus is speaking in these parables 
to the Pharisees to show them what they're like. And he leaves them out of the first two to show them what it should look like. He gives an entire elaborate story on the third one with a celebration at the end to show them that this is what it's supposed to be like. And then he brings them up and go, goes, this is not what you're like. So we pick up in verse 25. So the older son was in the field. Now, in contrast, where was the father? And what was he doing every day? Looking for his son, right? The older brother could have at any moment left, go to the far country and get his brother back, couldn't he? He could have said, yo, you made a huge mistake. Come on home. But no, the brother stayed working instead of caring for the one who was lost. Now, the Bible says there's a time and there's a season for everything. There's a time to work. There's a time to pray. There's a time to cry. There's a time to rejoice. The Bible is clear in Ecclesiastes. There's times for different things. But what we are supposed to prioritize is life and the soul and the individual who needs the love of the Father. And the son, for all intents and purposes, forgot that the, that the younger son even existed. He's in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Let me ask you a question. If you're by your house, and let's say you have a, let's say you have a lot of acres, and you're, you're working in a field, and you hear music and dancing, is it primarily your role to go ask a servant to find out what's going on? Or wouldn't you be running to find out, yo, why is there a party going on? This older son not only stayed in the field working instead of looking for the son, he hardly even cared about what was going on in his father's house. He sent someone else to find out. This is exactly what the Pharisees would do. They never got close to God. They wanted other people to find out how to get to God and report back to them. They had servants who would do all of the religious labor while they got all the frills and pomp and service. This is, this is what Pharisees do. They have no intention of having a close relationship with the Father. By the way, I want to show you something. In the beginning of the story, verse 11, Jesus says, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. And so what does the next phrase say? He distributed the assets to who? Them. Couldn't have the older son refused? No, dad, no, come on. I'm your son. But the older son took the same gift that the younger son did so let's not go getting crazy on the younger son the older son also took his inheritance early and once he had his inheritance he worked on the field didn't spend a lot of time at home he was in the field and this is what they told him happened verse 27 your brother is here he told him and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf and because he has him back safe and sound so the servants told them what happened. They said, said matter-of-factly. 
And verse 28 says, they became angry and didn't want to go in. It's flesh and blood. His brother, who no one's heard from, who we know because of the way he even asks for the money, was probably not going to do a lot of good with it. He knows his dad has been worried sick every day looking for his son. And when we finally find out that the son is back home and that there's a celebration going on because he's back home, the brother isn't just apathetic. He is downright livid and does not and refuses to go inside. Someone has now reestablished a relationship with the father and the older son didn't like that at all. You know, this is one of the hallmarks of being a Pharisee. Is that it's not about the relationship with the father, it's about the actions that you perform. And the actions outweigh your relationship with the father. And so because he left, and because he did that, and because he did and we'll find out, he didn't think he worked as hard as he did, and all this stuff, they were more concerned about the outward actions than the fact that somebody has a relationship with the Father. Now, we get on the Pharisees all the time. We'll call them evil people. We'll say, well, they're the ones that arrested Jesus. Do you know we live as practical Pharisees on a daily basis? Whether we're having an opinion on what someone wears to church or what kind of music people listen to or what version of the Bible people read or what people do with their time or what people put up on social media. We, are always, we always have an opinion about somebody else and instead of recognizing that somebody's on a journey going back to the Father, we look at their outward appearance and if they don't match us, we don't want to go inside. We want nothing to do with their life. Do you realize still, in 2021, church, 1045, is still the most seg segregated hour in the country? And I'm not just talking about ethnicity and race. I'm talking about everything. You and I pick a church that we like, that looks like what we want, not where God wants us. We have become such consumers when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. There is no Father's house. It's what we want in our life and what we want for when we're in church. We have no desire to change. We want people to agree with us, and that's who we hang out with. And if you look at every area of your life, the majority of the friends, the majority of the people that you hang out with are people who agree with you. You spend no time with people who want to build relationships with the Father when you can lead them to do that. He didn't want to go in. He didn't want to get involved. He wanted, get this, nothing to do with the one who came back to the Father. I ask you, is that how you live your life? You're in this hole, all your friends. I mean, honestly, if you tell me this, all my friends are Christians, I'll tell you, shame on you. If you have no one in your sphere of influence that doesn't know Jesus, why in the world are you here? I don't want to go in. If you're honest, you'll say it. I want nothing to do with that. 
I like my little life where everybody agrees with me and we all get along. That's not what Jesus called you to. He called you to seek and for him to save those that are lost. So when you look at what he's revealing about the Pharisees is this anger at someone who's reestablished their relationship with the Father. God help us not to be like that. So the Father came out and pleaded with him. Now this phrase shows us the grace and the mercy of our Father. In the most pharisaical attitude that we have, God still pleads with us to come in and dine with those who have come back home. God is still pleading with us today to forget everything that we think we know and go to the Word of God and love on people who may not agree with everything that you do when they're coming back to the Father. My friends, if someone from the other side of the political aisle came here, and we know they are, and we know what they stand for, and they said, raise their hand, I want to accept Jesus Christ, I wonder how we would treat them. If someone came, and thank God this is not our church, I think our demographics have not only gotten younger, our demographics are more, have more uh, multi-ethnicity to it, but imagine if somebody walks into a church of a different ethnicity, and they want to accept Jesus Christ, and there's people are a little skeptical. Imagine if somebody came in from a different socioeconomic status than us. Imagine somebody came in who we know is a liar and a cheat, and they said they want to accept Jesus Christ. How would we treat them? The father says, come on in. And he tells us to come on in. Because we're both trying to have a relationship with the father. So he's upset. He's mad. The father pleads with him. This is what he tells the father. Now think about this. He's talking. Who's he talking to? His father, right? Okay? Look. Not sir. Not dad. Look. I've been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. He tells his dad, hey, you know what, I guess let's give him points for honesty, right? He tells his dad flat out, he goes, look, I have been working here, I've been slaving. He uses the words slaving. Now this is not, now you could say, well, the, of course, we are slaves no longer to sin, and now we're, we're servants of Jesus Christ. This is not what this words mean. This means that he has slaved and he has worked for someone who isn't fair. I have slaved and worked for you for years. I have never disobeyed you. Why is it that we're able to see the sins of everybody else, but when it comes to us, we think that we're little Miss and Mr. Goody Two-Shoes? Why is it so easy for us to pinpoint the sin of other people and then dismiss ours as mistakes or a habit or it's not that bad? Why do we always, when it comes to other people, put their sin in this really high category, but us, it's just, oh, you don't know what I'm going through. He had the nerve to tell his father he's never sinned once. 
and he's worked all these years. You know, for some of us, this is why we think we're going to heaven, because we think we've done all this good stuff, and the bad stuff, those are just little things, and the good stuff, that's what's going to get us to heaven. And if we're really honest, what we have to understand, that there's no one, none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God on their own. We all have gone our own way, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, from the Vatican down to the person downtown Phoenixville, every single one of us has sinned. We have thought things, said things, done things that has Displease God. Every single person in this room has already sinned today, if you're honest. And so to tell the Father, I've never disobeyed you once, and all I've done has slayed for you? Pharisees have a wrong view and a wrong relationship with their Father. Look, I've worked for you all these years, and I've never sinned once takes it a step further. And this is what I think is where Jesus is really trying to just bah with this. He says this. The older son says, yet you've never given me a goat to celebrate. And now I want you to look at the last phrase. With who? My friends. See, in the other parables, right, there was a party about the sheep. There was a party about the lost coin. There's a party about the son coming home. And in every example, it looks like this party was a, an, a big crowd that everyone was invited to. The older son makes it clear the only kind of party he wants is people who are his friends. Pharisees love their exclusivity. Pharisees think that they're VIPs. Those of us who are Christian Pharisees, we think that we're going to have a VIP room when we go to heaven. Pharisees create second-class people. My friends, as opposed to the big party. You see, the idea of someone wanting us for and no more, or wanting to just be around people who agree with them, their friends, if that's the way we view our life after we've accepted Jesus Christ, we are going to come up short every time. Jesus wants us to be influencers for the world, not just our friends. There's this segregation that happens when you're a Pharisee. People aren't as good as you, so they're not accepted. You never gave me a party for my friends. This is the attitude of the Pharisee. This is the attitude of the older son. This is the attitude, I believe, of some of us. Verse 30, he goes on, but when this son of who? Of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours, you see how he isolates himself from his father, but also isolates himself from his brother. You see, being a Pharisee is very lonely. You're, 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 you think you're so much better than everybody else. Like you wind up, you know, you know how they say it's lonely at the top? Stupid to be at the top by yourself. That's how you lose oxygen on a mountain, you die. So never be at the, on the top by yourself. It's a very dangerous place. By himself, he's at the top and he's like, Your son, not my brother, your son, who has devoured your assets. With prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Now, 
You can't be dogmatic. Remember, Jesus is the one telling a story. Sometimes we read between the lines. Sometimes, like, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan. And sometimes you look for all these little Easter eggs and like, oh, does that mean that and that mean this? And you may look into it too much. And I may be doing that a little bit with this. But how the heck does he know his son, his brother spent everything on prostitutes? Could it be that he knows, knew exactly where his brother was and what he was doing and kept tabs on him? Very possible. Because you know what Pharisees like to do? They like to spy on you to find out everything that you're doing wrong. It's what they were doing to Jesus his entire life. Trying to find a way to trip him up. And he was keeping this in his back pocket. I know what he's doing with the money. So he can have a moment like this when he wants to lash out and use it. You know, knowledge is power, but sometimes some of us use knowledge to hurt people. And he brought it on. He goes, prostitute. This is what he do with it. And you're, and you're giving him a fatted calf. Look how sinful he is. I've worked. I've done nothing. This one did this. Pharisees are always tattletales. And they never think about what they do. Their intention is always to ruin the reputation of other people, even when they've come back to Jesus. This is why the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9 says. Because when you come back to the Father, there will still be things in people's history that, you know, just because you come back to God doesn't mean that, you know, your search history on your, on your internet browser is cleared. You know what I'm saying? There's still stuff that you have to work through once you come to Jesus. But it's our responsibility to recognize that we are new creatures in Christ and help somebody realize that their identity is in Christ now, not who they were before. And Pharisees love to tell you who you were before. He's home now. Yes, he did that. He did. We all agree. He lived his life sinfully and foolishly, but he's back home now. But it didn't matter. He had to do that one last jab. He knew exactly what it was, brothers, and he held the information. Verse 31, here's what the Father says. And we're going to talk more about this next week when we talk about the relationship and the view of the Father. Son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because your brother, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And it's found. One of the most damning revelations about the Pharisees in Jesus' time was that they had access, and the scribes as well, they had access to the very oracles of God. They had the word of God. They were in the presence. They were so close to God. But they missed him. Because they, Jesus, uh, the, Jesus says that the Father says, everything I have is yours. We have been given so much in Christ Jesus. The Pharisees were, have been given so much based on the, the knowledge that they had of the Word of God and the access to it. And instead of using that access to the Word of God to have their lives changed in order to affect the lives of others... They only worried about their status. And the get this, the knowledge of the word of God became elitism to them. Now for us, as believers in 2021, our knowledge of the word of God is either going to be used to change us 
or we're going to pinpoint sins in everybody else's life and then find verses to match with that and go, see, that's what you're doing wrong. See, that's what you're doing wrong. See, you need this word of God. You need that for today. You need this. You need that. You need that. It never points to you what you need. You're always trying to find out what everybody else needs. And so when we look at the, at the perspective of the older son, it's a perspective that hopefully we're not just going to go, man, that person needs to hear this. What is God telling you about your relationship with him and relationships with all the prodigals that you know? Perhaps you'll find out you're more of a prodigal than you think you are. Father.